Thank you, Luke. Um, I was really impressed with that filter that Luke used early on. What a transformation, Luke. Yeah, great. I was going to ask, actually, if I could have uh, access to it. <laughs> um, I've got a strange title this morning. It's called Trumpets and Jars. Okay? Um, and I'm going to read from Judges chapter 6. Now, I don't know if I should apologise for having a lot of scripture reading this morning, but it's, it's pretty well all together. But I don't think I ought to apologise for reading the scripture in church, should I? Come on, Alan, get a grip. <laughs> okay, so um, bear with me. So um, I think it's going to turn up on the screen. But anyway, here we go. Judges chapter 6. And normally I don't use the NIV very much, but I'm reading from the NIV this morning. Okay? Just to, just to let you know. <laughs> I can remember once having um, a young guy from Northern Ireland to preach. In, in the church where I was. We won't mention where it was. <laughs> and uh, he, he read from the NIV and he says, you realise that I'm reading from the Northern Irish version? <laughs> and everybody sort of looked at him, sort of not really believing. And then he, he, he found a place where it said, where the, where the verse said, to be sure. <laughs> <laughs> He says, there you are, are you convinced now? Anyway, uh, enough frivolity. <laughs> the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, in the news, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And verse 11, I think some help turns up. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Do you know, sometimes the Lord likes it when we get upset get a little bit angry about conditions that prevail and he said go in the strength you've got and deliver Israel so the background Israel is overrun with these Midianites who steal their crops at harvest time and God is trying to get the attention of his people because they've lapsed into idolatry 
They've forsaken the worship of the true God, or many have. But one man is determined to keep his harvest. They're not laying their hands on my crops, <laughs> was his attitude. His name was Gideon. And Gideon is threshing his wheat in a wine press. Now, normally they threshed wheat in a, on, on a sort of a hilly place or a place that was exposed to the wind so they could blow the chaff, chaff away. But he's doing it in a wine press because he was trying to hide it from the Midianites. So basically, I think Gideon is just thinking of himself and his family and how they're going to make out. But God has got a greater vision in mind. God is thinking of the nation and deliverance for all the people. And so Gideon's visited by this angel and he eventually is commanded to go and fight the Midianites. But before he could deliver his people, a few things needed to happen. You know, God often calls us, well, he usually calls us when we're not really in the right place to do much about it, it's spiritually or physically, but God wants to get us in the right place. And he called Gideon, and Gideon wasn't really prepared for, for this, but he prepared him. <coughs> so Gideon had to count the cost. He had to take some risks. He needed a personal encounter with God, and he needed to make a stand before his family and his townspeople and choose to be obedient to God. So without that, there wasn't going to be much deliverance. God wants each one of us to be prepared to take a stand for him in our homes, in our families, and that's the hardest place very often, uh, and to have a personal uh, encounter with God. So I'm, I'm going to chapter 7 now, and uh, here's this other long reading I was speaking about. Early in the morning, uh, we won't go into his long name, <laughs> Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley <coughs> near the hill of Mora. Just excuse me, I'll have a drink because I seem to have something in my throat which maybe shouldn't be there. That's better. <laughs> the Lord said to Gideon, you've got too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So get this, 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Wow, that's whittled them down. One in three stayed with him. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I'll sift them out for you. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Presumably they had to put their weapons down and were a bit defenceless when they did that. Who knows? The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley, 
During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. And then he said, If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura, and listen to what they're saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. Verse 13. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianites' camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. <laughs> I guess he said words to the effect of yippee. <laughs> They're all scared. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men <laughs> into three companies, God, there's barely one company there. <laughs> into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. Here's a man who led from the front. Okay. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the 100 with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they'd changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Jill did suggest that I act this out this morning, but then she decided she hadn't got a jar that she was willing for me to break. <laughs> or even if I'd be capable of breaking one. <laughs> the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Bathsheba, towards Zerah, or somewhere, as far as the border of Abel, something or other, near Tabath. Wow, and that's as far as we need to read this morning from Judges chapter 7. So Israel's army of 32,000 became 22,000 when the fearful were sent home without any recrimination. <clears throat> and even then, it was then whittled down to 300 men. Do you know that God is a strategist? God has some amazing strategies, and they don't always make sense at first hearing of them. His first strategy was to select the right men. Then he gave Gideon an audacious plan, and every man was supplied with a trumpet, a jar, and a torch, and a shout. They were told what to shout. No matter how crazy the plan, God knew it would work. He knew the weakness of the enemy. He understood how the enemy would react. 
But it did call for faith on the part of Gideon. He could have just said, Lord, that will never work. Find somebody else. But he carried out the plan. Um, God knows where the enemy is vulnerable. God's able to bring a whole nation to repentance. At this stage, Israel was pretty um, backslidden. They weren't worshipping God as they should. They were Baal worshipping and, and other uh, foreign gods. And yet the whole nation came back to God around this time, or certainly the aftermath of it they did. So God is able to bring a nation to repentance and to save those who will be saved. Do you believe that can happen in our land? Yeah? yeah? Well, that's my prayer, and I believe it can happen, and I believe it's going to happen. So let's just think about this. They were all given a trumpet. I, I believe that this is almost a, a picture of what our situation can be, a trumpet. Uh, and they attacked in the middle watch. Now, the Romans used to have four watches, three hours duration through the night. But in Old Testament times, Israel had three watches uh, of four hours. That was the norm. And the middle watch ran from 10 a.m., sorry, 10 p.m. until 2 a.m. So soon after the guard changed for the middle watch, Gideon's 300 arrived. So imagine now, it's around about two o'clock in the morning, or just a little after. Uh, they divided into three companies, and they waited to take their signal from Gideon. So after the changing of the guard, the camp settled into silence. Soon the guards who had gone off duty were sound asleep. Probably all you could hear was snoring. <laughs> the new sentries adjusted to the routine and just began to settle in for what was going to be another long night. But suddenly, the air was shattered as 300 trumpets blasted the night air. It was panic and pandemonium. Do you know, it's bad enough when somebody's got their music system turned up loud in the middle of the night. But just imagine 300 trumpets and these guys really going for it. Now, in my younger days, and I didn't get to be looking like this without having some younger days, <laughs> uh, I used to be a fireman. And before they issued us with pocket alerters, like little radios that would go off uh, with, with a bleeping sound to call us to a fire, we used to have a huge bell in the house. And it, we lived, we, the, the station I was on was what was called a day manning station. In other words, it was only manned through the day. But at night, we all went home. And we, we had a big bell in the house. In the daytime, those of us who were part-timers, you know, retain firemen, uh, we would be called in by the air raid siren going off. Anybody heard an air raid siren recently? No? It was the all clear that they used to sound, just in case the townsfolk panicked. <laughs> but anyway, we, we had this bell in the house. And it literally could be heard down the street in the middle of the night. Over time, the vibration from it actually cracked plaster on the wall of our house. And I was always having to patch up around where they where the fitted this big fire bell. And at 2 a.m., it was enough to wake the dead and certainly the neighbours. Neighbours used to sometimes say, I heard you were out at a fire last night. Oh, did you? Yeah, we heard your bell going. <laughs> 
But you know, that was as nothing to the racket that these 300 made. I mean, we're talking serious decibels. Now, the trumpet's long been associated with battle, calling men to arms, mustering the troops, or even just announcing royalty for that matter. Very often, the trumpet was the signal for the attack. And invariably, it was loud and decisive. 1 Corinthians 14.8, Paul asks this question. If the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for the battle? So the trumpet call was loud and decisive, a command to obey. But the men with Gideon were not just merely responding to a call, because each one was personally blowing his own trumpet as soon as he heard Gideon's. So they were also issuing the call to battle, as well as hearing the call to battle. Uh, they weren't, you know, they were participating in the call to arms themselves. And you know, I think this is a picture of how the church should be. A united body, a people going to war against the enemy of our souls. We've got a leader, but we're still, we're all as eager, or should be, we want to be, as what each other is. We're not content to, re to respond to the call of the trumpet. We all echo the trumpet blast ourselves, calling one another to arms, urging the attack, encouraging each other. Now, everyone in this army blew together. You know, there are a few things that can't be undone. And I tell you what, when you have just blasted your trumpet in the middle of the night, you can't undo that and pretend it didn't happen. No one's sounding the blast once it's come, ripped through the air. So this company were totally committed, and every man went for it. So what is the trumpet blast for you and me? Just think about that. Well, I think it's got to be your testimony. Your fearless declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord He's Lord of your life, but he's also the Lord, full stop. It's also, uh, your testimony is basically saying that his enemies are your enemies. It's your declaration of war against Satan and all his wiles. Now just think this through. Supposing they'd blown quietly and nervously, tentatively, it would have been as good as useless. In fact, it would have been downright dangerous because it would have alerted the enemy without scaring him. The whole point of noise was to scare the life out of him, confuse him, gain the advantage of surprise and assert the victory. And that's exactly what they did. Now these men were chosen by God after he'd watched them drink. And I think there's some significance in this as well. God is still choosing his army that way today. He's looking amongst his people to see who's drinking aright with his mind on war. What I'm trying to say is God will choose those who are full of the Holy Spirit so that the moment he says blow, they'll do so courageously, wholeheartedly, vigorously, and in concert with other like-minded warriors. It speaks of personal testimony, but more than that, it speaks of corporate witness. So we don't just have a, our own testimony to the neighbours that we live amongst, 
But together we're part of a company and we're together we, we witness and we share and, and we hold forth the light. Now, the effect on the enemy was devastating. The Midianites were thrown into confusion and disarray. So, if the uh, trumpet speaks of our testimony, then the jar, what does that speak of? Well, I think it speaks of brokenness. There was nothing special about the jars. That's why Jill was scared about me choosing one. All her jars are fairly special. <laughs> But the whole point of the jar was to carry something right into the enemy's camp without him seeing or being aware of it and giving the game away. Once there, they were going to be broken. They were to be sacrificed for the sake of victory. Now, I don't think too many tears were going to be shed over 300 broken jars. Um, the whole land was being laid waste by the Midianite hordes. What concern were a few clay pots? Yet without them, this strategy wouldn't have worked. Now, I wonder if you can see where I might be heading. Are you getting the picture? You and I are the clay jars. Nothing too special about any of us. Sorry, I don't want to insult anybody. <laughs> Some jars are more special than others. <laughs> Some, judging by Luke's picture this morning, look better than others. <laughs> but basically, we've all got our points, but, you know, we're basically just jars. Human beings made out of flesh and blood. Look around at the state of our land. How can Satan be dislodged? The only way clay pots can be of any use is if the commander chooses to use them as part of his strategy. And the cost will be brokenness. So you and I have got to be prepared to put ourselves at the Lord's disposal and to even be broken. And that's what God's chosen to do. Just look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure, in, that's Christ in us, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, I doubt if the Midianites ever knew the jars were there. They heard the trumpets, they saw the light, and they heard the shout. But the jars were doing their stuff when no one was conscious of them. And you know, we're of most use to God when we're not conscious of ourselves at all. In fact, being self-conscious, we get in the way. But when we don't take that much account of ourselves... I'm talking about in the right sense. I'm not talking about putting ourselves down and being, I'm ever so humble. <laughs> not that sort of. Um, but we're doing our stuff when no one, when we're not conscious of ourselves. Um, so we're of more use to God when we're out of sight, but the holy flame is within us. And that brings us to the torch. Jars were broken for one reason alone, to let the light shine. Shine, Jesus, shine. Remember that song? The flame was smouldering within. Oh, I hope you've got a flame burning away inside of you, smouldering away. Shielded from view, the wind, hidden from view, but all that is changed when the pot is broken. The spark fanned into a flame and the light cut through the night. So then, the trumpet blast, 
confused the enemy. The light commanded his attention. But without the trumpet, no one would have been awakened to see the light. But the blast turned attention towards the light. We're meant to point to Jesus. He's the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Paul described our condition as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, our trumpet blast, our testimony is to focus attention on Jesus and the light did the damage. It threw the enemy into complete disarray. One man fought another. It's a good job there wasn't more than 300 of the Israelites. <laughs> they probably ended up getting themselves killed as well. <laughs> you know, just let the enemy fight among themselves. They're doing the job for us. Uh, and that's what happened. The enemy fought each other. John 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Or you could say the darkness has not overpowered it. Uh, the darkness has got no answer to it. The people called to bring deliverance to our land have to be willing for the right kind of brokenness that sort that lets the light shine. And as I look around our nation and as I look around some of the churches in our nation, and this is not pointing the finger at any denomination or otherwise, but so many of, of us churches are compromising on the clear truth of Scripture and we've got to be prepared to let the light really shine and to take our stand with it. So the torch speaks of Christ within and it speaks of the flame of God's Spirit. So are you full of the Spirit? Are you tanked up? If that's the right, maybe it's not the right expression, I don't know. <laughs> but finally they were given a shout. <laughs> Sorry, I just realised what most folk think when they say, God, he was tanked up, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, they accused the disciples of that on, on the day of Pentecost. Oh, they're drunk. <laughs> you silly old fool. <laughs> uh, uh, let's come back to this. They were actually supplied with a shout. It wasn't a matter of shout whatever comes into your head. The whole success of the operation depended on 300 men acting in unison as one. The shout was intelligible. It had content and meaning. It meant something to the men shouting it. It strengthened them even as it left their lips. It struck terror into the heart of the enemy because their worst fears were being realised. So the trumpet strategy called for timing and volume, of course. The light strategy called for placement. It matters where the light is. And the enemy had to believe he was surrounded and he was outnumbered. So the shout called for volume, clarity, brevity, intelligence, and it really speaks to me of prophetic teaching, preaching, I should say, of bold testimony, unashamed testimony to Jesus Christ. We need prophetic preaching, loud and clear, to the point, with intelligence and content. And that coming on the tale of fearless testimony and broken lives filled with a flame of God's Spirit will surely rout the Midianites that fill our land and steal the harvest. You know, in the end, it was a handful that won the victory for the many. Now, many people got involved afterwards, 
as part of the mopping up operations. In fact, Gideon called for many of those soldiers that he had sent home, called them to come and help us now, just finish off what, you know, what, what Midianites remain. But not everyone had got the qualities necessary for this sort of warfare. It was real commander, commando stuff, if you like, that Gideon was involved with. But it speaks to me as well that whatever our disposition, God loves us and has service for us. Praise God. Now, I would rather be among the 300 that saw the action <laughs> than those who went home. Uh, and I'm sure you want to be among the 300. But you know, it all really began at the river as, the, as we drink. 22,000 didn't even get as far as the, the river because fear prevented them. Of the 10,000 who drank, 10,000, only 300 realized there was more to this than meets the eye. Now, I should have um, read the scripture a little bit more closely. I think they came up against something like 300,000 Midianites. I mean, it was an incredible number that was against them. Uh, but, you know, God is pouring out his spirit. And he says, come and drink. But while you're drinking, just being filled with the Holy Spirit is not for our entertainment or for our pleasure or satisfaction. It's because there's a battle and we've got to keep our mind on battle. And the strategy is God's and God's strategy involves our testimony. It involves our brokenness or willingness to be broken. It involves the inner flame of the spirit and the prophetic shout. But it all began at the river. Have you been to the river? <laughs> Doesn't I'm just trying to think. There's one or two songs, isn't there, that talk about going to the river? Really, really. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. The river speaks about getting saved, doesn't it? It speaks about baptism. In this case, it speaks also about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know, it was great to have a baptismal service last week. And I know there's more coming eventually <laughs> at some point. Uh, but we move on from there. You know, we haven't arrived once we're baptized. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be getting ourselves into a position where we are of use to the Lord. So are we saved? And uh, I think this morning, judging by the fact that nothing's been thrown at me, that most of us are. <laughs> um, but that's where we begin. Maybe though in your personal life, you feel the Midianites have come out against you. If that's the case, could it be that God is after your attention? You know, very often when things have gone horribly wrong in my life, I'm not saying it's always been my fault, but sometimes God has used incidents to get my attention refocused on him again. So I'm, I'm not saying that if you've got troubles, then it's your own fault. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> We've all got troubles <laughs> um, of one sort or another. But you know, the difficulties of life should turn our attention towards the Lord. Because he's the answer. 
And sometimes a bit of self-examination is good. Am I worshipping foreign gods? Do you know, this morning I I saw a... um, I was just going through my uh, emails early on. Are you allowed to do that on a Sunday? (laughs) (laughs) And I saw one from a friend of mine. I used to work with him in the TV trade. He was also a fireman with me as well. And he now lives in France. And he was sat in this really nice-looking racing car. I mean, he's an old guy like I am now. Uh, but he, he's, um, he says, well, I haven't really got a proper pension. So I've got all these vintage motorbikes and old cars that he does up. And he says, every now and then when I need some money, I sell them at ridiculous prices. And uh, I've, I've, I've visited him in France and seen some of his stuff. And I think, wow, oh, I'd love that. Anyway, he was sat in, a, in this sort of old-fashioned racing car. And just saying, I'm only dreaming. But you know, I've forgotten why I started to tell you this story. (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's right. Thank you, Emma. Hey, I'm glad you're following. (laughs) I must concentrate more. Like it used to say in my school report, Alan can do better. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I just thought, as I saw that car, and I thought, oh, wow. And I, and I could see the back of my friend's workshop with all these motorbikes lined up, and I thought, oh, you know, as a young guy, that would have just been my dream. And then I suddenly thought, yeah, but it's only a false god. And, and uh, it's too easy to get distracted. I'm not saying we can't enjoy the things of life if God supplies them, but we must never set our hearts on them. Wasn't it Solomon who said, if riches increase, don't set your heart on them? You know, we hope they will increase. Well, unless you've taken a vow of poverty, I haven't. (laughs) I'm still poor. (laughs) But um, we mustn't set our hearts on these things. We can't have any false gods. Sometimes difficulties in life are to just refocuses on the Lord again. Um, so let me just um, say, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And I don't just mean, have you been baptised in the Spirit? But are you being filled with the Spirit? Do you spend time before the Lord and seek to be full of his Spirit? Um, can you remember this song? Was this, um, was this by Robin Marks? Maybe you music buffs will be able to tell me. Take us to the river. Yeah. Take us there in unity to sing a song of your salvation. To win this generation for our King. A song of your forgiveness. For it is with grace that river flows. Take us to the river in the city of our God. And I tell you what, when we've been to the river, let us be under the command of our great leader and see our nation begin to turn back towards the Lord. Praise God. Well, basically, that's all I've got to say. (laughs) I put notes in here. I put a note in, appeal is led, and suddenly my mind has gone blank. Let's just pray. Lord, thank you that you are not content 
to see a nation turn its back on you without doing something to try and reclaim that people and refocus them. And Lord, we can perhaps look at the church in our land and see the sorry state of compromise and betrayal, really, of your truth that, that we're tempted to be in in many, in many situations. But Lord, you want to call us back as well. And Lord, those of us who feel that we're in a church that's seeking to live up to all you have for us, you still want our full and undivided attention. And I just pray, Lord, you will fill us all afresh with your spirit. And that long after this meeting is over, that you'll have planted something in us that will seek after you with our whole heart and will be willing to testify, to be broken, to blow our trumpet, to shine our light, whatever, Lord, these metaphors might mean, for you, so that we might see our nation turn back. Lord, we pray, think it was someone who was being burned at the stake, who prayed, God, open the King of England's eyes. Lord, we pray, open this nation's eyes and hearts again. Lord, we do think of the whole world and the mess it's in, and we believe you are the answer. But we live in this part of the mess, Lord, and we pray that you'll change our nation. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.